Lord Jesus, Hosanna in the highest. All praise goes to you, Lord Jesus. Lord God, let us encounter you this morning in our hearts, in our minds, in your word, in worship, in communion, in fellowship, in encouragement. Lord, let our hearts be touched by your Holy Spirit. Let us leave here changed. God, we love you and we praise you. Hosanna in the highest to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, exalted to the right hand of the Father, you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And we're looking at... uh, Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 36, looking at 11 verses this morning. But I got a lot, man. As I was digging into this week, the Lord just kept taking me down rabbit trails and other scriptures that tied this message in, and I'm real, I'm real excited. I'm real excited about this message. But before we get into it, I'm going to read the passage before I get going and get my wheels turning and, and start teaching. Uh, so Romans chapter 11, verse 25. You dare say Amen. Amen. Good enough for me. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. As I studied this passage this week, and I went deep into studying Israel and their history and everything that's happened with them over the past 5,000 years, this is what God spoke to me and showed me yesterday and the day before. The same faithfulness that God demonstrates to Israel, guess what? He demonstrates it to us. He is faithful. So you're thinking to yourself, man, why are we studying Israel? Why are we studying, you know, studying that and, and, and not something applicable to us? Well, we are, because we're going to see that the faithfulness that God shows Israel, he shows to you and me. Amen? Amen. It makes him worthy of praise. God is faithful, and you've got to understand that. Life throws us curveballs, difficult things happen, but God is faithful. He will see you through, and he will be faithful to his word and his promises. Amen? Amen. Amen. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Look at a verse from the Old Testament that emphasizes this. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Question. Or has he spoken, and will he not make good of it? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Fast forward to the New Testament. 
2 Timothy 2.13 says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's faithfulness is part of God's attributes. He is faithful because of who he is. It's within him, it's part of him to be faithful to his, to his children. But not only is he faithful to you, and not only is he faithful to you and me, but he's also faithful to Israel. And to show you this, what I want to do is, I just felt led to do this, I want to take, take you guys back to the very first Bible verse that uses the word Israel. In Genesis chapter 32, y'all know the story where Jacob wrestles with God. But before we get into this verse, let's pray. And then, we, then we're going to dissect this verse and look at it. Heavenly Father, thank you now for your word. and Strengthen us, encourage us, and, and open our hearts to your word as we look at it and we study it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, you know the story. Genesis chapter th- uh, 32. Jacob has left Haran for Canaan. He's heading back down south, and, and he stops by, by the Jabbok River. And he finds himself, he lets his family cross over the river. He has 11 of his 12 sons. They go over, but he stays on the other side of the river. And what happens that night is phenomenal. He finds himself wrestling through the night with God himself, with a theopony, the Lord Jesus Christ manifesting himself in in the Old Testament. He finds himself wrestling with God. And he's pretty good. Because they, get so, they, they, they start wrestling so much, so much so that, that, the, that the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, does what? He touches his hip. Bam! Tapes the hip, hip socket out. He dislocates his socket thigh. And then God says to him, what is your name? And Jacob responds with, my name is Jacob. And that brings us to this verse that should be up on the screen where God says in Genesis 32, 28, you're your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. This very first mention of Israel in the Bible, this is the first time the word's ever used when Jacob's renamed, tells us three important things about Israel. And I want to go through those this morning. First thing the verse says, it says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Now, how do we say the name Israel? I have a little fun this morning. We like to say the name Israel, Israel. But that's not how it's pronounced. That's not how it's pronounced. It's pronounced Israel. So can we practice that real quick? On the count here, let's say it together. One, two, three. Israel. That's how it was pronounced. It was pronounced Israel. Israel, uh, uh, the Hebrew root word for Israel means to struggle with. And El is the Hebrew for God, to struggle with God. That's what the word means. That's the summary of their existence. The second part of the verse says, For you have struggled with God and with men. This is the summary of Israel's existence. They have had a long, hard road. If you know anything about Jewish history, um, Old Testament, after Christ, they've had a long, hard road road. It has not been an easy life. They could have used a copy of that Living Your Best Life Now book because, it, it, well, it wouldn't have done them no good, but 
They were not living their best life now. They had a very long, hard road. So what I want to do to you, I want to give you now, is a brief summary of their Old Testament and their New Testament um, history. In the Old Testament, they struggled with God. They were held in captivity in Egypt. They were treated very harshly. In the Exodus, as God led them to the promised land, they struggled with obedience. The scripture says they had, they had obstinate hearts toward the Lord. They finally get into the promised land, and they go into the judges' cycle. If you join the men's and women's Bible study on Tuesday night, we are studying this in depth as we go through the book of Judges. But this was the, the cycle of the Jewish people. It says, uh, they had peace in the land. Israel served the Lord. Everything was well. All was good. Then it says, Israel would do evil in the sight of the Lord. Then God would punish them. He would deliver them over into the hands of the enemy and be enslaved by other people. Israel would cry out to the Lord. God would raise up a judge, as you see, and Israel would be delivered. The issue is they never learned. And as we go through the book of Judges on Tuesday night, we see this cycle. Obedience, disobedience, slavery, set free. And it's just a vicious cycle they go through over and over and over again. And God would raise up a judge and, and, and bring him back to repentance. But they went through this vicious cycle of struggling with their relationship with God. The northern kingdom was taken captive by Assyria. The southern kingdom was taken captive by Babylon. And so their whole entire Old Testament period, they wrestled with God. They struggled with legalism. They struggled with faith. They, they just had a very difficult time. So you think Christ comes along, and he's going to set them straight. They're going to listen. They're going to be obedient. They're going to bow their knee. It didn't happen. In the first century, when Christ shows up on the scene, who are they under the tyranny of? Rome. They're under Roman occupation. 70 AD, destruction of Jerusalem. Titus and the Romans came in, ransacked Jerusalem, and the diaspora took place, where Jews were spread out all across the world. The fourth and sixth century, Judaism was banned. Jews were persecuted. They were killed. They were sold into slavery. 633 AD, with the rise of Islam, Many Jews in Arabia and northern Africa were slaughtered. The 11th, 12th, and 13th century was what was famous then, the Crusades. The Crusades. And what was meant to liberate the Holy Land from the Turks it turned into them persecuting the Jews. Their motto during the Crusades, very sad, it's a big black eye, very ugly. It's horrible what took place. Kill a Jew, save your soul. That was the, the motto of the soldier. It was very bad. In 1350, the Black Plague, how many of y'all remember, heard, studied the Black Plague? Over 20 to 25 million people died during the Black Plague of 1350. The Jews were falsely accused of contaminating the water with the bodies of lepers. They were falsely accused. It was never proven. It wasn't true. It turned out that it came from rodents who came over on the ships. But there was just, they struggled, as, we're, as the scripture says. They struggled with, with, with people. They struggled with their relationships. 1933 to 1945, y'all know what happened. Six million Jews stepped into eternity from the Holocaust camps. And today, as we speak, as you're sitting here right now, 6.4 million Jews live in the Holy Land, and they're surrounded by 100 million people 
that don't like them. The point is, this morning, is their hands are full. They've had a tough life. They, they've been in a fight. There's always been a remnant, and there always will be a remnant that serves the Lord. But man, they, they bear battle scars. They bear, they bear battle scars of their existence. It's, it's, it's been a very tough time for them. But despite their struggle with God, despite their struggle with man, God has always been is, is faithful. He's held on to them. And, 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 then, and then finally, in verse 28, it says, they have, it says they have struggled with God and man. And what does it say? And they have prevailed. Question for you this morning. Why did Jacob prevail? Why does Israel prevail? Why do you, why will, why will you prevail? Simply because God is faithful. He's the same God he was then as he is today. And he is faithful. Despite our trials and our tribulations, he is faithful. With that thought in mind, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, if you're not already there. And we're going to go through our verse-by-verse study. Verses 25 through 36. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Look at it. We, we looked at this verse last week, but I wanted to go more in depth into it this week and just really flush it out and, and bring it to light and see everything that's in it. I want to make sure that's real clear because this, verse 25 is very, very important. Verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of of the Gentiles has come in. Three things in this verse that I want you to take from it. The first one is, it says in verse 25, it says, he does not want you to be wise in your own estimation. We make a big mistake when we form our theology apart from the word of God. Do you understand that? We make a big mistake when what we believe is not based on what scripture says. That's so, so important. And, and our foundation. It produces, when we do that, when we base our theology on what's not as written, it produces weird thinking. It produces strange, unbiblical theology. If those people, all those thousands of years, had just been reading and know what the scripture says, they wouldn't have done those atrocities. You know, we love the, 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 the Jewish nation of Israel. We love the Jewish people. We love all people. Murder is never right. Torture is never right. Persecution is never right. But we make a big mistake when we form our theology separate from God's word. The Bible is very simple. God's word is very simple. You don't need a seminary degree to understand it. It's simple and it's straightforward. It's so simple and so straightforward that children can understand it. That that a, a child can understand the word of God. You know, we're taking care of Summer and Caroline. And we had some issues early on with, with um, obedience and listening to us as we took care of them. Well, Nana Mona told Irene, gave her this idea of the, the pom-pom jar. Got these two little glasses with their names on it. And every time they do something good or they're obedient or they do what we ask them, we give them a pom-pom. And when that pom-pom jar fills up, we take them to Walmart and we buy them whatever they want. So this past week, I said... We're going to start memorizing Bible verses. And I started taking Summer and Caroline and had them memorize John 14, 6. And I was like, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. 
No one comes to the Father except by me. And when I told them that they were going to get a pom-pom for memorizing it, they had that joker memorized in five minutes. Because <laughs> they were going to get a pom-pom. But God's word is so simple, we don't need to overdo it. Just let it speak for itself. Just let it, let it speak for itself. And we can understand it. A child can understand it. The kids out there doing Sunday school, they can understand it, just like you and I can understand it. It's not rocket scientists. Um, the Bible is simple. And now I got the girls memorizing John 3.16. So if we get to keep them, praise the Lord, but if they go back to um, mom and dad or Nana Mona, they're going to go back and they're going to know John 14.6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. And now we're going to memorize John 3.16. It's simple, guys. We just got to be careful to let the scripture inform our theology. Second thing verse 25 says is a partial hardening has happened to Israel. This is called time out. He's, he's put Israel in time out. They're on the shelf for a season. God's going to turn his attention back to them. But they're in time out right now. And then it says in that verse, it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. What is this? This is the gospel to all nations, to every tongue, tribe, and nation. This is the marching orders of the church. These are our, our, is our command from headquarters. This is what we are to be about, is to reaching out to people with the gospel, with the love and the grace and the truth of who Jesus is, and letting him transform their lives and then them turn around being discipled and going out and multiplying and sharing that same love and truth. The, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, that is our, that is our marching orders from headquarters. That is our job. That is our mission, is to take this gospel, this beautiful, glorious gospel, let it transform our lives, our hearts, our minds, and then take that to the world, to go, take it to the world, to win people, to share the gospel with people, to disciple people, to build them up, let the gospel transform their lives, and then what do we do? Send them out. Reach out to other people. That is the heartbeat of the church. And as we grow in ministries and expand in youth ministry and women's ministry and men's ministry, we can't lose heart. And we cannot lose focus of what the real mission is. And that's to be light in the dark world and to share the gospel. That's our marching orders from heaven. Verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The deliverer. This is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to deliver. It's used twice. It's used once in the book of Acts, referring to Moses delivering the Egyptians out of bondage in, in, in Egypt. But here, it's used of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was Israel's deliverer. 
And what they failed to understand is, is when, when he showed up on the scene, they were under tyranny. And this was their heart cry. This was Israel's heart cry. Somebody come in and rescue us from the tyranny of Rome. But what they failed to understand, he first had to come to make a way for salvation. He first had to come and make a way for us to be saved. He's our deliverer. And then the deliverer will come from Zion. Zion's Jerusalem. And it says, uh, he will remove the ungodliness from Jacob. What do we say Jacob's name was? Israel. He will remove the ungodliness from Israel. In the end of verse 27. And I will take away their sins. What is the ungodliness in the sin he's talking about here? He's talking about unbelief. He's talking about unbelief. He's coming to make a way for salvation, which he did in his first advent. But one day, he's going to remove the ungodliness of Jacob and their sin. He's going to peel back their unbelief. And there's going to be a massive revival. You know, Jesus Christ is our deliverer. Do you, you understand that? He, 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 he will be their deliverer, and, he, and he's going to bring them out and bring them into the light. But the Lord Jesus Christ, one of his ministries today is he is our deliverer. He rescues you and I from bondage. You and I, spiritually speaking, in, in this world, in this lifetime, we were like the Israelites in Egypt. We were bound. We were in chains. We were enslaved to the ways of this world, to our sin. And he came in and he broke the chains. He set us free. He set us free. He is setting us free. And he is moving us in a direction to be liberated and freed from the old ways of life. I could share with you, man, in 1992 when I came to Christ, I had so many bondages. Drugs, alcohol, everything. My life was a wreck. And slowly, one by one, he broke them away. As I pressed in, as I, as I pressed into the gospel, you won't change, you got to press in. Jesus Christ and Christianity and, and what it offers you is not Burger King, okay? It's not a drive through You don't pull up the window, hey, I want this, I want this, I want this. Go to the next window, pay, next window, pick up. No, it doesn't work like that. God works in people who are deeply committed, who are deeply committed to him, okay? You got to take this thing by the horns and say, Lord Jesus, I need you more than anything. I need you more than the air I breathe. You have to get on your face and cry out to God and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And I believe it's in places like that is when the Holy Spirit says, okay, He's ready for heart surgery. He's ready for change. He's ready for change. He, 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 he is ready for me to open up his heart. It's not a quick fix. You press in. You move forward. You dig in. And he transforms our hearts. God is faithful. That is a fact. Jesus Christ is faithful to us. He is always faithful to us. But i got to say this. As I examine scripture and I see the testimony of the disciples and in the book of Acts and throughout church history, you 
have to be committed. We have to be committed. You know what? We got to put our hands to the plow and not look back and let him take us and move us forward because he is faithful, but we got to be committed. Amen? Verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. God will be faithful to Israel because, and we're going to see this in a minute. I'm going to bring it up on the screen. God's going to be faithful to Israel because of the promises he made to Abraham. They're unconditional. They're promises he made, and they will be fulfilled. Verse 29, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God is faithful. God is faithful. And his gifts and his callings are unchangeable. God does not waver. God is not fickle. God is on mission. God is on mission in the earth. Do you understand that? With or without us, God is on mission in the earth to transform people with the gospel. You and I have a choice. We're we're like at the bus station or the train station. Get on the train or get off the train. But guess what? The train is going. And he invites you and me to get on this train to get on this bus and go forward with the gospel. Let our lives be transformed. Let our lives be changed. He will do it. But he's going he's to do it with or without us. Let's get on the train. Amen? What does that mean? What does that look like in 2017? That means living the Christ-centered life and reaching out to people, showing love to people, ministering to people. You know, the youth group, we meet on, um, on Wednesday nights at Panera Bread. And... We were meeting at the YMCA, but over the past year, Jennifer pulls these girls aside and has one-on-one conversation. She gets into their life. She talks to them. She lets them open their hearts. She's reaching out to them. That's moving forward with the train. It's affecting people. You getting on the train and moving forward with God is reaching out to your neighbor is reaching out to the people that you work with. It's raising your children and influencing them and leading them in the ways of the Lord. It's living the Christian life. It's it's living the great adventure of Christianity. Amen? Amen. 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 But God is on mission. Let's get on mission with him and let's do this thing. The burning question we have to ask ourselves as we look at Israel, as we're kind of getting back on subject here, the burning question we have to ask ourselves is, When will Israel experience this return? When will they come back to Christ? Well, first off, we know no man knows the day nor the hour, but we know God is faithful. He will do it. But there are signs. There are signs. God made promises to Abraham that he will fulfill. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. Up on the screen, you should see Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the first instance of the Abrahamic covenant, and it's reiterated as the Old Testament moved forward, and it's really developed in the verses down below. If you'd like, I'll email those to you if you ask for them, or you can write them down and study them for yourself later. But anyway, the Abrahamic covenant, what is it? Well, the beginning of it is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And so... You shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
God is talking to Abraham. He's talking about the covenant people of, of, of Israel. And this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And it's really developed as you look up those Bible passages that refer to it. That he's basically made three promises, unconditional promises to the nation of Israel. And we call it the Abrahamic covenant. It can be broken down into three parts. The first one is the land promise. He promised them, and, and, and in these scriptures, if you look up, it gives you the dimensions in the areas of the land. But the, the land promise, he says, you're going to have this land, Israel. It is going to be yours. Now, for 2,000 years, there hasn't been an Israel. Most of us in our lifetime have grown up knowing that there was an Israel right there to the, um, to the east of the Mediterranean. But for 2,000 years, it didn't exist. Passages like Romans chapter 11 and passages on the Abrahamic covenant, theologians for centuries struggled with. Because what do they do with these Bible verses that talk about this land promise? They, they really struggle. And that's really where, um, if you've ever heard of what they call replacement theology, that, I believe that's where it developed. Well, Israel wasn't no more, so they did some biblical gymnastics and put verses together and said, okay, maybe the church has replaced Israel. But the fact is the church has not replaced Israel. What happened on May 14, 1948, supernaturally, Israel took possession of that land again. For 2,000 years, they were not in existence, and they were given that piece of land. Amazing. So the first promise is to Israel was they have a piece of land. The second promise of the Abrahamic covenant is uh, he promised them a people. He promised them a group of people, a, a nation of people. Well, what happened in 70 AD? The diaspora. Diaspora, that word simply means the dispersion of the Jews. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, ransacked, and they spread all over Europe. And for the past 2,000 years, they've been spreading, even into the United States and other countries. They've spread all over the world. But he promises Abraham that he will have a group of people. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 4 and 5, listen to this. It, looking forward to the people, the people part of the, uh, of the covenant, he says, if you're outcast are at the ends of the earth. From there, the Lord your God will gather you. And from there, he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. So he promises this group of people will be together. They will be a family. Sign of the times. Let's look at the population of Israel today, or, or actually the past 100 years. In 1918, the, population, the Jewish population of Israel, it was 60,000. You see the numbers. 1948, the population, 716,000. And then on January 1st, 2017, 6,450,000 Jews have relocated to the land of Israel. Hey, I can't make this up. <laughs> Supernatural, divine hand of God. Their land 
their people, and they're going back to their land. They're going back to the land. And I know, I'm sure you've seen all the stuff in the news lately uh, between Israel and the PLO. You know, Israel has the whole strip of land, but there's this little donut hole in the middle called West Bank. I'm sorry. The West Bank. And that's what, that's what they're fighting over today is the settlements between um, Israel and Palestine. But they are going back to their homeland. This is one of the reasons why they today are, are, are digging their heels in the ground, and rightfully so. I, I watched some interviews. I was watching some interviews on CNN News, and they were inter, inter, interviewing this um, Jewish rabbi. And he said, this is our promised land. And I was like, yep, sure is. That's what he used. He it was like, wow, I got chills going down my spine listening to this Jewish rabbi interview with this CNN reporter. He's like, this is our promised land. This is our land that's been given to us as a promise by God to our forefathers. So we see the land. We see the people. The third aspect of the Abrahamic covenant is a promise of redemption and blessing. And I believe that one is still to come. I believe it's taking place today. You know, God has always got our remnant. He's always got people serving him throughout all languages, throughout all people, including Israel. But we're going to see a mass revival of Israel and of the Jewish nation. There's a, there's a promise of redemption and blessing that is coming. Joel 2.28, which I believe this can apply to Israel and can apply to the church. Joel 2.28 says, It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. There is going to be, like we've never seen before, a great awakening. There's going to be a great awakening, I believe, in Israel. There's going to be a great awakening in, in, in the rest of the world where God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit. There's going to be a revival. People are going to be coming to Christ and getting radically saved. And at the same time, it's going to be a picture of black and white. There's going to be mass revival going on, people getting on fire for God, people getting saved, set free, delivered, healed, discipled, but at the same time, the world's going to be going south. It's going to be happening. It's going to be happening. Both, both are, are, going to, are going to be happening, but here's the deal. God is going to make Israel great again. He's going to make them great again. They are going to rise, and they are going to be the city set up on the hill. That's his promise. And if you feel free to get with me after service if you want to look at those verses. The Old Testament is just loaded. In Romans chapter 11, it's just loaded with this promise to Israel that, they, that God is going to be faithful and that he is going to restore them. But check this out. What, what did I say in the very beginning? The same faithfulness that God extends to the nation of Israel, he extends to you and I. And our walk with him and, and our raising our children and us living our life and being a witness. God is faithful. We're seeing it here on the global stage, okay? We're seeing his, his glory and his faithfulness on the big stage, but he also does it on your stage. He does it on your stage of life. He is faithful to you. Let's finish up the chapter here. Verse 30. For just as you once were disobedient 
to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they may also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. For all have sinned, for all have fallen short of God's glory. And he offers us mercy to whosoever will come to him in faith. Uh, Paul closes Romans chapter 11 here with like a benediction. It's like a song going up to the Lord, talking about how great and how magnificent you are. Because Paul, he loved his Jewish nation. Remember what he said in the beginning of the chapter? He says, I wish I could be accursed and damned and going to hell for the sake of my people. That's how much he loved Israel. That was his heart of evangelism. was, oh God, please redeem these people. Please save them. But now he closes the, the chapter with a benediction, magnifying the Lord and telling him how great he is for his faithfulness. Um, verse uh, 33. Oh, the depths and the of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
are faithful, God, you are faithful. Every step and every step, we are breathing in your grace. And evermore, we'll be breathing out your praise. Because you are faithful, God, you are faithful. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. You are faithful, God, you are faithful. Scars and struggles on the way, poet joy our hearts can say, yes our hearts can say. Faith. 